This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, the downfall of John Delaney. Imagine the scene. It's Kilkenny, the Mount Juliet Golf Club. There's an ice sculptor for Walter PPK, James Bond theme everywhere. White ostrich feathers in the centrepieces of the tables. We've got the High Kings, a well-known band playing, pyrotechnics going off, flames shooting into the air. We've got the high rollers from UEFA there, Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, Eamon Dunphy, Martin O'Neill, the Ireland manager, John Giles, the kind of royalty of Irish football and put him under pressure, comes over the speakers. People stand up and clap, in enters John Delaney. 0050 with his fiancée, Emma English, on his shoulder. People cheering and whooping, like an Irish wedding, you know, as they come to their appointed seats. That's something that the FAI paid for, put on 80,000 euro, Frank, the wedding planner, was the guy organising the whole thing. FBI picked up the tab. Delaney paid them 50 grand back. This is Irish football 2017. The CEO of the FAI be treated like royalty. Today on the Indo Daily, the downfall of John Delaney. I came back and on my desk was an envelope addressed to me. Um, and inside there was no letter, but just photocopies of two documents. One was a, a cheque for €100,000 from John Delaney to the FAI, and the other was a remittance payment from the FAI to John Delaney. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm speaking to Mark Tai, journalist with The Sunday Independent and co-author of Champagne Football. Mark Tai, you can't talk about John Delaney's involvement in the FAI without first going back and talking about his father, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Um, like uh, from people outside Irish football, they probably think it's remarkable that, you know, in 1996, 1995, you had, you know, the FAI treasurer, um, you know, thrown out the, of the Football Association of Ireland over a huge uh, ticketing scandal where, you know, hundreds of thousands of euro of pound, punts, as it was back then, were sloshing around in his private bank account and money hadn't been repaid back to the association. He was kicked out. And within uh, three, four years, you had his son, John Delaney, as the FAI treasurer, you know, initially um, as a board member and then as treasurer, you know, basically. And yeah, you could really look at his career through that kind of um, 
Shakespearean prism, you know, that um, his whole career was kind of um, a, an attempt to kind of, uh, you know, right the wrongs that were done, to, he saw as being done to his father, you know, to, to clear the Delaney name and kind of to also bring about a bit of retribution against the, those in the FAI who'd uh, deposed of his father. So how did John Delaney get into those positions? There's a lot of politics in the FAI, always had every sports organisation, let's be honest. So how does John Delaney become treasurer and write up, I suppose, wasn't it Saipan really where he became a public figure? Yeah, um, he, he initially um, was a board member of Waterford United and it was through that that, you know, he was elected onto the FAI board as a board member. He was a businessman, he was an accountant. Um, so people regarded him as having a lot of acumen. And I ran a bakery for a couple of years. I'll tell you, some of the best principles I've learned came from running that bakery. I remember going down the first week, there was £100,000 owed to the sheriff um, <laughs> in back taxes. And the health inspector was in within two weeks saying he was going to close the place. So I told the health inspector if he wanted to lose 40 jobs in Kerry, that was his business. He lived in Kerry. And he backed out. And the sheriff, I wrote 10 post-data checks out for, for a year, 10 grand a month. And thankfully they all cleared. And we met a go with that. A lot of people on FAR football boards around the country, you know, local teams, they come from working class backgrounds. So Delaney being a businessman who was seen to have had quite a bit of money and success in, you know, logistics businesses that he was running involved in. Uh, he was seen as someone that was kind of a breath of fresh air and, and, he, and he courted the media very well as well. Um, you know, you had the, even the Sunday Times back in 1999 were saying this is the coming man. Uh, he, he knows his, his business, he knows how finance works and they were promoting him, you know, as a, you know, someone who should be in a position of power in the FAI and he would have courted journalists very much. So, and so, and and yeah, and that, that kind of worked to an effect when 2002 came and, you know, the world's media descended on Dublin. The crisis about our, you know, personally I'm a big Roy Keane fan probably the best player in the world at the time um, and the Ireland captain uh, getting kicked out of the Irish camp or leaving depending on which side of that gonna you're going to take yeah. John Delaney of the FAI uh, joins us from our Waterford studio what's your reaction to that interview? Well Roy is obviously very hurt he sounds very emotional but we all are everybody involved in football from speaking to people in the hotel in Japan, you know, the players, the, the management, everybody's hurt by this, by, by this situation. But it doesn't seem that we can achieve a resolution here, to be fair. Do you not think it's possible for both sides to be big about this, to forget what's happened and uh, to, to go on and continue with the World Cup? It's difficult to see, given the circumstances. Let's not forget that the meeting um, inside Pan was emotionally charged. There was a lot of comment made, which we've all read in the papers. And it's but, very but it's hard. a week later. I mean, we, that there should, that time has passed, tempers should have cooled, there should be wise, maybe wiser counsel should prevail. I don't think that's achievable at this stage, to be fair. Again, the transcript of, of, of what Roy has said in full, we'll hear it at half eight, we'll go to the team hotel, but I don't see any change in the attitude, to be straight. So Delaney, uh, as, the, as the media descended on Marion Square um, and uh, the FAI headquarters, you had um, you know some serious FAI, FAI bods there, uh, people, you know, honorary, uh, this, that and the others. But it was John Delaney said, look, lads, I'll handle this. <laughs> you know, I'll take the questions. I'll handle the media. And he was seen to have done quite well, even to the fact you remember. It was unusual because he was the treasurer. He wasn't uh, a front of cameraman. 
Yeah, like and you had Des Casey there, you know, the uh, who, who who served on the UEFA Exco, um, his position at the time. He would be a senior person on the FBI board. You know, Des is in the background, you know, even though he was kind of a much more experienced person. But John just knew how to handle the media, you know, and he, he courted a fine line there. Like, you know, that this was ridiculous what was happening, but also maintaining, you know, trying to keep the FAI above the fray, saying this is a player manager issue, you know, and he, he did probably quite well there. And that really launched him. Yeah. From that there on, he was seen as even more the coming man, you know, um, after the kind of review, the Genesis review, which was commissioned then into the FAI, you know, how we could be so bad logistically and, plan and with planning and, you know, all the deals of, of, you know, the amateur and the professional clashing. Um, out of that, we had Fran Rooney, you know, who'd uh, had his own business problems, but he was, he was brought into the FAI and, and Delaney would have really backed him and, and picked him. But um, working all the as soon as uh, Fran Rooney was in there, Delaney was working against him and, you know, spill, uh, talking poison to people's ears. And when, when Rooney was kicked out, you know, John was the man that seemed to replace him. And, that, and so 2014, interim CEO, or sorry, 2004, he became interim CEO of the FAI. So as I say, politics in sport, that's not unusual at all in any sense. I think that anyone who's ever been involved in a sporting organisation say that sort of thing goes on. But Delaney gets in there, he goes from treasurer to CEO. But the big project at that time was the Aviva Stadium and he was front and centre of the plan around that. Yeah. So when when he came in, I suppose, um, Aircom Park, if you remember, was, had been the big FAI's big plan. And then there was talk about the Bertie Bowl um, and, and Delaney was against both of those projects, uh, really, I suppose. And he said, no, what we'll do is, uh, and he backed this plan, you know, that where the FAI had rented Lansdowne Road. He said, no, look, let's be equal partners on this. You don't have to, one thing I've learned, like we built the stadium, the Viva Stadium, when I, when I got involved with the FAI. I think the same business principles apply to any business. So I didn't know how to build a stadium. When you learn the business. But the deal that they actually did was while they're equal partners on the Aviva Stadium, they're so leasing the land from the IRFU and it revert back to their control at the end of the stadium. But it, it meant then that the FAI, and this kind of sowed the seeds of his uh, downfall eventually, um, was that the FAI took on a huge amount of debt um, to finance their their half of the project. You know, the, the, the final figures on it, I think was around 70 million, which is a huge amount of money for uh, the association to shake on back then. And um, Delaney kind of brought in uh, brought in these outside experts saying, you know, we can charge 12,000 euro for season, 10 year season tickets uh, up to, you know, that was, they were the base amounts <laughs> they were charging uh, over 30,000, you know, way in advance, way above what the IRFU were seeking for similar kind of season And where tickets. was this in the timeline of the economy? Because obviously we had the Celtic Tiger when that mm -hmm. might have washed, but then as we moved into 2010-11 onwards, yeah. those kind of prices were just not realistic so, for the corporate world. Yeah, they, they were launching these in uh, September 2008. Um, so in and around the time that everything was just, the world was collapsing, the financial world was collapsing. You know, they had a launch down the Watermark building in Ring's End, you know, where you can see the Aviva Stadium still being built in the background. Delaney famously said, look, there's 33,000 millionaires in Ireland. Uh, we just have to tap up a few of them, you know, and we'll be, we'll be grand lads. Um, despite, you know, and this showed the weakness of the FAI board, you know, who'd already been there, most of them from 2004, 2005 and 2008, 2009, they were like, 
a lot of them had big doubts about this thing. This is these are ridiculous uh, high levels to be charging, you know. Are, and and Delaney started pushing them to say, you know, get your affiliates, get your leagues, get your teams, get your clubs to to buy these um, tickets for us because no one else is buying them. And you know, the FAI board could have said, actually, Don, this isn't working, you know. But John said, look, this is the deal we've agreed. We've got the experts. Are we going to you you know go with the advice or not? You know, these are the guys we're paying the big money for. And the boards were cowed, and that you know they were cowed forever, you know, and and that was but that was a big jumping off point, you know. From from then on, Delaney was always playing catch up financially. Did he become a little bit untouchable by that though? Because in the business sense, most people could see it wasn't a good deal. You're saying the other people on the board and involved with the FAI kind of knew this wasn't going to wash; it wasn't going to be sustainable, and yet John Delaney carried on. Yeah, um, he he always would put out this line debt free by 2020. You know, so for over a decade, this is the line. You know, when journalists on the few times that he would engage with football and you know business journalists, that was the line he'd give. It's 2022. How are they? <laughs> you can the the most recent debts um, was at the FBI AGM a few weeks ago. I think they're at about 64 million. So they're not debt free. Like you know what they've done. You know, the jump ahead is that the current board have realised. Look, we we were trying to, we were racing and paying these huge interest rates to try and pay off by 2020, which is never actually going to happen with the finances. And we were borrowing from advanced uh, from money coming in from the future, uh, our future income. And they said, no, let's put this off till 2040. <laughs> so, you know, it's now they're hoping that the Aviva debt will eventually be paid off around 2041, 2042, you know, so that's a more realistic uh, financial plan. Give me a rundown, Mark, of some of the other controversies then that followed around this. Some serious, some less so in terms of John Delaney's tenure at the FAI and even some of his engagement with the fans, for example. Yeah, I suppose as a, as a football fan myself, I remember vividly um, uh, um, going out to Sapo, going out to Poland, where the Poland and Ukraine were, were hosting the Euro 2012. It was the first time Ireland had qualified for a major tournament since... Um, the Japan Korea um, um, World Cup, you know, where Delaney, uh, you know, I'd been out there as a finance person, as a treasurer. So 2012, um, we had Trapattoni as a manager. Ireland, like I was sickened myself as a football fan. You know, we lost all three of our games. I was at all of them. Yeah, so I, 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 I departed by the time of the Italian game, but I saw the first two. It was so disheartening as a fan. Um, but I remember Delaney going around the um, the squares in in, in Sapo and in um, Gdansk and uh, Poznan. Poznan was yeah Poznan. yeah. And it's all a blur if I'm honest. Yeah, that whole period. yeah. <laughs> I just you know the, there was this chance you know Delaney he used to be a wanker but he's all right now. I was like what what's this about you know why are they extorting and John was loving this you know you could see they were putting up on his shoulders the, the night there's a famous night in Sapo. Um, this is, which is just outside a dance, kind of a party town, a beach town. And, um, you know, Delaney was completely drunk, uh, lost his shoes. I'm sorry, I remember, like, we'd be in a pub at a bar, you know, before or after a match, and the, the word would go around Delaney's buying pints next door, like, run for it, like, you know, you get free drink. And so he was splashing the cash left, right, and centre. Kind of, and like Ireland were a disaster. But Delaney was kind of, I know, ingraining himself with a certain cohort of fans. To my shame, as a journalist who was there covering that, uh, the fans for the Evening Herald at the time, I remember being tasked by a news desk to go and try find John Delaney's shoe. That was the <laughs> level of craziness that was around mm-hmm. him as a celebrity, I guess, rather than the boss of a football organisation that was doing 
horrendously badly at that tournament. Yeah, and like we detail this in, in our book, which I wrote with Paul Rowan, Champagne Football, how Delaney was confronted by um, the, the senior FAI board uh, members after um, the disaster of uh, 2012, Euro 2012, you know, where they, they were saying, you know, your drunken behaviour was just unacceptable, you know, and, you know, a lot of CEOs would have been sacked just, you know, not just by the team's performance, but by his own personal performance. And, you know, like he had uh, John Delaney, as wasn't, this is interesting background, you know, into his whole financial disaster, his personal financial disaster. And that, you know, at the time he had, uh, he was separating from his wife, Emer and Susan Keegan, who comes into the story later, his then girlfriend was out there and kind of a, uh, you know, uh, something that was kind of kept on the down low, which some FAI staff are seeing are in and around matches. Um, but, you know, Delaney was confronted post Poland um, and he, you know, stood up for himself, you know, like lads, I'm, I'll get you, you know, you won't get me. This is my FAI. And again, that was a moment where the board could have stood firm, but they didn't. And, you know, I remember speaking to directors subsequently and it was a, only, a, I think it was only two of the board um, that went and confronted them and they didn't even inform other board members. So there was a lack of communication among the board, you know, that other board members said, well, I would have supported the guys if they to- show- told me they were confronting John at that stage, but they only learned about it years later, you know. So it's unfortunate, I suppose, that the board were acting in, uh, you know, little cliques. And I suppose it's well documented, Mark, by your own book indeed, but in in the papers at this stage. And it's funny even looking back at it, but like the list of controversies, there was the wage cuts that came in 2012, the 10% for staff and the FAI as well. When, the, the, when John was on 430,000 euro, like making him probably the best paid football CEO in the world. The 5 million euro that the FAI got from FIFA over the Thierry Henry thing to kind of make it go away. Mm-hmm. We, we felt we had a legal case against FIFA because of how the World Cup um, hadn't worked out for John Rehan Ball. Also the way Blatter behaved, if you remember, on stage, having a snigger us and having a laugh at us. So that day when I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletives used, um, we came to an agreement. We came to an agreement. And that was a Thursday, and on Monday the, the agreement was all signed and all done. Um, it's a very good agreement for the FAI, a very legitimate agreement for the FAI. I'm bound by confidentiality for naming the figure. You've put a figure out there, right? And and fair play to you. What was the what, what was the agreement? What, what? Well, it was a payment to the association. To, but why to, was the payment? What, to not to proceed with a legal case. All right. Was singing rebel songs in, in a pub in 2014. The controversy over the treatment of the women's football team, which thankfully seems to have improved a hell of a lot now but at mm-hmm. the time the whole idea of them having to get changed in public toilets and having yeah. to hand back tracksuits all that there was the controversy over the Rio Olympics he was never found to have done anything wrong but his, his name became part of that story around the tickets mm-hmm. controversy in Rio so there was all those was there any achievements in his term as CEO? Yeah um, like when Delaney came in in 2004 2005 you know like speaking to people who become his mortal enemies like the fo- Professional Football Association of Ireland, you know, who would always stand up for, you know, League of Ireland players and their rights. They were quite um, impressed with him. And even, you know, directors um, who became, you know, enemies often maybe down the line, they, they thought initially he was doing things for the right motivations. You know, like they brought in a standard player contract for for League of Ireland footballers. So that meant, you know, whether you're playing for uh, Shamrock Rovers or Finn Harps or, you know, a team in the first division, that you'd get your basic rights, you know. And so, look, football, is in Ar- football in Ireland, being a professional footballer or a semi-professional footballer, it's a very hard job in terms of your rights. So this there's something to protect footballers. Like, that was something that I know the PFAI were, you know, that been, they'd been lobbying for for years. And when Delaney came in, he made it happen. So, you know, that's one of, his be- one of the good things he did. 
looking like you know our record we qualified for two European championships you know Delaney helped now in fairness it, he was one of the people he can he can, he can dis- proudly describe himself and he has you know said you know that was my brainchild along with the, the from, from the Scottish Football Association to expand the Euros to 24 teams um, from previous 16 so that meant it was easier for teams like Ireland to qualify so and that has you know benefited a lot of smaller countries um, but I think like if you look at Ireland's financial or the FEI's financial performance and the, and the team's performance and the League of Ireland performance it was a, was a disaster you know we, we fell from being just outside the top 10 in the world of the men's team to being you know where we're now I think in the 40s you know so and if you look at the structures that are there and Delaney belatedly brought in a national structure uh, for youth teams linked with League of, League of Ireland teams so I think that's a, a, a positive you know but it was very late in the day that he did that that should have been there he should have done that in the noughties you know but he brought that in in the last couple of years so I think there, there are things he can credibly put down as uh, achievements It's a bit like being a football manager sackings or the downfall comes slowly and then all of a sudden so you've spoke about his relationship with the media and I think it's fair to say at this remove that uh, more than myself saying going around trying to find his shoe in Poland was a bit ridiculous now in hindsight. I think people knew there was a lot of unease within the FAI, within football, that there was a lot of things happening um, that left people uncomfortable. That seemed wrong. It's very hard to report on a lot of that without evidence in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it had partly to do with his relationship with the media. He obviously used defamation laws a lot to try and ensure that there was little or no bad publicity about him and then Mark you opened the Pandora's box how did you find the box? Yeah well I'd been asked to write a profile on him I think it was around 2012 and I started doing a bit of digging into his personal finances and there was a um, a company he was involved in called JMPHE um, involved in building so John and his business partners had built this uh, uh, housing estate down in, on, in Carrick on Sewer and just thought it was interesting that he had all these side projects and he kept them going while he was CEO on this huge amount of money. And as you do as a journalist, sometimes you just, I, I was digging around the land registry and I noticed that some of the mortgages from JMPHE had been transferred to this new company called Pillarview, very mysterious company. John had no uh, on the record uh, connections with the company, but it was when I looked into it, it was run by two close friends of his, a Garda and a soldier <laughs> who were big into fo- their local football teams, one in Tipperary, one in Kilkenny. And so we published a story on that and little was out to know that Pillarview would become central to the ongoing Garda investigation into John's finances. It was March uh, 2019 then when um, I'd been covering Dennis O'Brien business post case for a couple of weeks. I came back and on my desk was an envelope addressed to me um, and inside there was no letter but just photocopies of two documents. One was a, a cheque for €100,000 from John Delaney to the FAI and the other was a remittance payment from the FAI to John Delaney. And so um, that's... It started An anonymous off. tip. It, it's like the movies. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like, I was intrigued. As you say, you know, there've been very little... There've been a lot of people talking about, you know, the, the culture of fear in the FAI, you know, how, F, how John Delaney dealt with people who would tr- dare speak out about him. Um, you know, and there was a lot of suspicion about this, you know, debt-free until 2020 that it would ever happen. Um, but there'd never really been a leak from inside the FAI before um, into what was actually happening in there. So I thought, Jesus, this is someone now who's tr- trying to point me in the right direction on this. I did my digging and um, we found, you know, I was able to verify that this transaction actually happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, it took us, that took us over, over two weeks to kind of get it to, to a situation in the Sunday Times where we were happy to print 
uh, published the story and you know we approached I'd approached Delaney and the FAI like that day on March 1st but it was March 16th then the day before March 17th was a Sunday um, and we were about to go to, we were about to go to print and next thing we were John was telling us uh, John Delaney's lawyers were telling us we're in the high court now seeking an ex parte injunction against the Sunday Times and you personally Mark Ty and um <laughs> Thankfully, like Frank Frank Fitzgibbon, the editor, uh, he's now gone from the Sunday Times. You know, he took the very brave decision. Um, you know, because he easily could have folded. I think a lot of editors down down the years maybe have folded when Delaney picked up a phone to a lawyer and engaged the legal the legal battalions. But you know, Frank said, "No, let's fight this." Myself and Hugh Hannigan, the legal manager in uh, Times newspapers, you know, literally. We raced down the keys in a taxi and then literally on foot shaking at the gates then try and get the G4 security guys to open the door and let us in on a, at six o'clock on a on a Saturday and um, then we started a three hour hearing you know where Delaney was trying to say that we pilfered his family law records from his divorce case with his wife um, and we were saying look this is purely a public interest um, uh, story judge and thankfully Judge Anthony Barr ruled in our favour around well, I think it was 20 past nine and we just managed to get the story into print. And yeah, that was kind of the, I wouldn't say it was a deck of cards, but over over the coming days and weeks, the, the, his position and the story kind of unraveled and more more whistleblowers came forward to me. And from there, then it became an issue for the politicians because the Oireachtas got involved. TDs wanted to know what was happening with the finances of the FAI. Why was Delaney involved in loans or money being paid back and forth? The ODCE got involved. Just give us the brief synopsis of everything that has happened since that story, because ultimately John <laughs> Delaney, John Delaney went slowly. He didn't. He he became executive vice president. Yeah, within seven days after our story, um, Ireland were playing Gibraltar. It was quite dramatic again. <laughs> like it was crazy. On the next the following Saturday, uh, so the Ireland team is out, you know, in this rocky uh, outcrop, you know, in the south of Spain, playing Mick McCarthy's first. In a second coming of Mick McCarthy, his first uh, competitive match against Gibraltar, and um, you know all these rumors started to fly around. In the meantime, I've met a whistleblower who's given me so much detail on Delaney's personal finances and the, his you know ins and outs of, of finance with the FAI. And we're about to run a story saying that the FAI had been secretly paying his uh, rent for at least ten, at least a decade. You know, so something that had never been exposed before when Delaney was on these huge you know, annual salaries. And that's very tangible for people because it's one thing yeah. talking about 70 million euro debts and Aviva stadiums and corporate packages. It's very tangible. If someone pays your rent, you're like, that's a sweet deal. Yeah. And like at the time, you know, SIP2 and, you know, all, all the non-SIP2, non-union staff in the FAI have been facing massive pay cuts, you know, and people have been let go. And all the while Delaney was getting this secret deal, you know, uh, from the FAI, which, you know, we were later to discover, you know, hadn't really been sanctioned and we, was been paid um, you know, despite it not being in his contract, it's just bizarre. Um, so yeah, like so, people were let, being let go. People, were, you know, who were on you know just above minimum wage were were getting pay cuts while Delaney was getting you know paid. Uh, the FA were paying for a mansion that was owned by Grania Shoiga out in Wicklow. You know, it's just bizarre that the FAI were involved in this. That's where you know your your football money was going. So you know, the, 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 I remember Cahill Durvin, who was who'd become the FI press officer, had this great plan that let's release this that John is transferring, transitioning from um, from CEO to executive vice president. They wanted to release it like a bomb when they're in midair. He was going to send he was going to send the signal from the runway to another FI press officer, send out the press, release the dogs, you know. But um, it didn't work as a as a he thought that would take the heat off 
Delaney and, you know, the, the Oroctus came in and Delaney really disgraced himself, um, you know, refusing to answer questions. Um, the FBI treasurer, you know, who was a 70-year-old retired Garda who, you know, didn't have the financial acumen to be treasurer, but he'd been there. When people saw, he didn't know how many bank accounts there were. You know, he thought there was one when there was, geez, was there in the 20s now? It's, it's It was far more than one and he didn't know, you know, and I think that's when the scales fell from a lot of people's eyes. Even though John still had his support, people were attacking me, you know, why are you, why are you chasing this good man? Um, so at that weekend after the Oireachtas hearing, he um, he was put on gardening leave. Since then, um, like the ODCE now called the Corporate Enforcement Authority, which has Gardies uh, sanctioned. They they they've been investigating since March 2019, so that's coming on two and a half years now. Um, it's um, they're, they're in. They got a search warrant from a, a district court judge, and they seized a quarter of a million emails from the FBI servers and some hard copy documents. We're waiting. A John has fought a protracted legal battle, John Delaney and his lawyers, to to keep a lot of those records, um, over a thousand records, under legal privilege. He's saying he can't touch that stuff. You know, it's just legal advice it relates to my divorce, it relates to my JMPHE Pillar View. All these companies are coming back into it. Um, and so we're waiting for Judge Leone Reynolds, who's a daughter of Albert Reynolds, who's a high court judge. We're waiting for her to rule on whether the guards and the ODC, it's heard the Corporate Enforcement Authority now, can uh, get access to those uh, records. And so that's an ongoing white collar crime investigation, which which hasn't finished. And, you know, and John John is continuing, to, John Delaney's continuing to work in London. We, we know he's got a, a new baby at the age of 54, uh, a new girlfriend. He's working as a kind of a consultant, business consultant in London. He's, uh, you know, sadly, sadly lost his mother. In, in recent weeks, we've had his uh, mother's funeral there, kind of his first public appearance in Ireland, um, really since 2019. So that's kind of the, the state of play as, 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 as we talk now. That was Mark Tice, Sunday Independent journalist and co-author of Champagne Football. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll and Siobhan McGuire, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips were from the Saturday Night Show with Brendan O'Connor on RTE and independent.ie. If you enjoyed the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.